Pastor Lewis and the Chong family. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, or you can read with me uh, up on the screen. This is the reading of God's word. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we bow our heads before you, acknowledging, O Lord, our desperate need for you whether to speak your word or to hear your word, we can't do that without you. And so we ask that you would fill us with your spirit so that we don't miss anything you have to say to us this morning, so that we don't leave this place empty and robbed of the glorious blessing you provide and desire to give us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Dear friends, what is the most memorable Christmas gift you've ever received? I shared this story a number of years ago, so please forgive me if you've heard this story before. But back when I was seven years old, I heard at school that if you wrote a letter to Santa, he will give you everything you ask for. So I remember rushing home from the bus bursting through the front door and asking my mom, Mom, can you give me a piece of paper and a pencil? They began to write my letter to Santa. I wrote, Dear Santa, for Christmas, I would like to have Transformers. And I think I was a greedy kid because I didn't just ask for one or two Transformers. I asked for all of them. You see, I had in my possession a Transformer catalog that gave a description and name of every single Transformer in production. And so I remember the catalog to the right of my letter, and I began copying down every single name. There must have been at least 50 Transformers on that list. Gave that letter to my mom and said, Mom, please mail this to Santa. And I began to eagerly wait for Christmas. Christmas morning comes, I wake up, and to my delight and surprise, right next to my bed, 
my brother and I shared a, a room. We had two twin beds. Right between us was this large gift. It was probably uh, four feet by two feet. It was a huge wrapped box, big enough for me to hide myself in, more importantly, big enough to contain every single transformer. And so I tore open that gift. I opened the lid. And I'll never forget what I saw. Hot tears began to roll down my face. Tears of sheer disappointment. Inside that box was a brand new set of encyclopedias. <laughs> if you think about it, the practice of giving is unique to Christmas. Every other holiday, we don't give gifts to one another. Thanksgiving, Halloween, Fourth of July, it's only Christmas. And rightfully so, because Christmas celebrates the day God gave us the greatest gift to our world. And what I want to do this morning is help you come to greater appreciation of this gift, to help you better understand just how amazing and awesome this gift is. And I'm going to do that by helping you see three characteristics of this gift God gives to us, three characteristics that are found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. And one thing you'll discover about these three characteristics is that all of them catch us by surprise. All of them are unexpected. And it's my hope that by the end of this sermon, that as you appreciate and wrap your arms around this gift, it will leave you startled in wonder and ultimately in worship. So let's start. The first characteristic of this gift that catches us by surprise is that this gift is less than what we expected. It's less than what we expect. If you've been with me through this Advent series, we've been unpacking verse by verse Isaiah chapter 9, and in each verse, we see what this promised child, what the Messiah will come to do. And in verses 1 and 2, we read that this coming Messiah will vanquish and overcome the darkness. He will shine the light of God and uh, obliterate the gloom, the anguish, and the shame that covers the land. In verse 3, we see that the Messiah will be ultimate joy giver. He will give us great joy as he multiplies the nations, as he brings sinners into the presence of God. Last week, we talked about verses 4 and 5, how this coming Messiah will break the yoke of oppression the rod and staff of oppression. He will set his people free. No longer will the rich and powerful have their way. The tyranny of evil will be broken once and for all. And so as we read these verses, as we are, as, 
Isaiah describes what this Messiah will do, in our mind's eye, we cannot help but picture a, a superhero of great strength and power. The Israelites probably pictured someone as muscular as Samson, as brave as David, as educated as Solomon. For us, when we read these descriptions, probably picture someone like an Avenger, someone as strong as Thor, as good-looking as Captain America, as smart and educated as Tony Stark. But here in verse 6, Isaiah catches us by surprise. To our shock, he declares, to us a child is born. A small, weak, frail child. Today, children are seen as cute and innocent. Back then, children were seen as useless and somewhat of a burden. The Messiah will be cloaked in weakness and frailty. And indeed, this this cloak of weakness and frailty and humility is seen in the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. This promised warrior king who will turn history on its head is born not in a palace, not in a home, not even a motel, but in a lowly manger. A feeding trough for cattle. This promised warrior king is born not to a a well-to-do, powerful, and privileged family but to a no-name family from a no-name town. We are told that Joseph was a carpenter, no less. I read an article recently that questions whether or not Joseph was really a carpenter, that if you look at the Greek word for carpenter, most likely he was more like an everyday laborer, what you call a handyman. The fact that this Messiah is less than what we expect is captured in the people's puzzlement in Matthew 13, 54 through 55, which reads, And coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is not this the handyman's son, the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? This is not what we expect from someone like him. So that's the first surprising feature of this gift Isaiah declares to us. He is but a child. He is less than what we expect. Similar to my response to my Christmas gift from Santa, this is much less than what I expected. At the same time, Isaiah goes on and he reveals to us that this gift that God gives us will also be much more than we expect. Isaiah begins to rattle off four names, four titles that will be ascribed to this coming king. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Each of these titles could easily take up a sermon 
in and of themselves. But let me briefly unpack for you each of these names so that you could appreciate who and what this Messiah will do. Let's start with Wonderful Counselor. Now for us, when we hear Wonderful Counselor, we might picture a therapist sitting in a chair and a long couch for us to sit in. We picture someone who can listen well, who understands us well, who knows how to untangle us well. Though that's certainly true of the coming Messiah who knows us better than we know ourselves, that's not what Isaiah is talking about here. You see, back then, a counselor wasn't associated with therapy as much as a counselor was associated with the royal court. You see, every king surrounded himself with counselors who would advise him on policy and procedure and government regulations. And so what Isaiah is saying about this coming Messiah is that he will be wise like no other. He won't need any counselors, for he himself is a counselor. He will possess wisdom to rule. And his decisions and his reign will lead to the flourishing of his kingdom. Now we must not overlook the adjective wonderful. It's easy to because we hear and use that word wonderful all the time. The weather is wonderful today. You look wonderful. This gift is wonderful. But scholar E.J. Young, Old Testament scholar, notes that the word here translated as wonderful actually woodenly translated is wonder. It's the same word used to describe the wonders God performed in Egypt, the wonders of the 10 plague, the wonder of dividing the Red Sea, the wonder of providing water in the wilderness. In each of these instances, God is performing a miracle. In each of these instances, what's happening is supernatural. And so when Isaiah says he is wonderful counselor, a wonder of a counselor, he's telling us that this, this coming king will have divine-like wisdom, supernatural wisdom. Then he moves on and tells us he is mighty God. The word mighty can also be translated as hero or champion. And yet this coming king will be a hero and champion unlike other. Why? Because he is not just a man, he is God, mighty L. For all those critics who say that the notion of Jesus' divinity is something that was created by the early church. It's something that was uh, uh, created in the New Testament. They haven't read Isaiah 9 because here we see that the, the promised Messiah being divine is, can be traced all the way back to the Old Testament, written 700 years before the arrival of Jesus. Then Isaiah calls the child an everlasting father. 
might be confusing since we know that Jesus is the Son of God. But in what ways is he a father? Well, back then, traditionally, it was expected that fathers would do two things for their families. They would provide for their families and they would protect their families. And so in ascribing the coming king as an everlasting father, Isaiah is saying is that this king will protect his people and will provide for his people. But of course, Israel has seen its share of good kings who have provided for them, protected them. But unlike those kings, this king will not come and go. This king will not die. You see, he is an everlasting father. His kingdom will know no limits. His kingdom will have no boundaries. And this principle of being an everlasting father is further fleshed out in verse 7, where Isaiah says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. He will uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The kingdom that this Messiah will establish will extend to the ends of the earth, hearkening back to verse 3 about multiplying the nation. And this kingdom will not have an expiration date. It will last forevermore. Last but not least, this coming king is called Prince of peace. When we talked about how this Messiah will overthrow oppression once and for all, we've learned from history that when one oppressive regime is overthrown, what happens? It's often replaced by another regime that is just as oppressive, if not worse. Today, there are socialists in America who feel oppressed by capitalism. Now, if capitalism is overthrown and replaced by socialists, guess what? There are going to be many capitalists who feel oppressed by socialism. Regardless of who is running the government, someone is going to feel oppressed. And so when we read about this Messiah who will overthrow oppression, the question that lurks in the back of our minds is, well, what will his kingdom be like? But any concerns that we have are immediately vanquished because verse 5 tells us that every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. In other words, in this kingdom, you won't need an army. You won't need soldiers. You won't need swords and shields. Why? Because no one will ever want to go to war because everyone will be at peace. This is the kingdom that will end all oppression once and for all. In this kingdom, the rich will no longer use and abuse the poor. The power will no long, the powerful will no longer trample upon the weak. For in this kingdom, the last shall be first and the greatest will be the servant of all.
as you can see, each of these titles in and of themselves exceed our expectation of what the Messiah will do. You take all four of these titles, put them together, and see that the coming Messiah will be and do all these things, and we're left in wonder. Now, who is the one who fulfills these prophecies? Who is the one who will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace? There's only one person in history that comes remotely close to fulfilling all four of these things, and that is Jesus the Son of God. I challenge you to read the Gospels through the lens of these four titles. And if you read the Gospels through the lens of these four titles, you will see that Jesus checks off every box. Read the Gospels and ask yourself, where do we see his wisdom? It's everywhere. Where do we see his mighty acts? It's everywhere. Where do we see him providing and protecting his people? Everywhere. Where do we see him bringing peace? It's everywhere. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9. Even though Isaiah wrote these words 700 years before, we see them all being fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. This leads us then to the third and final surprising characteristic of this gift God gives us. Not only is this gift less than what we expect and more than what we expect, but what surprises us the most is this gift is for you. It's for you. It's for me. Verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, for unto you is born this day. The scriptures are clear that the arrival of this Messiah, this gift is for you and for me. Have you ever seen the movie uh, Never Ending Story? It's an 80s movie. Perhaps I'm dating myself. Uh, it's about a, a, a young boy who discovers this book and starts to read it on a stormy night. And he reads this fa fantasy tale about a young hero who goes up against a dark enemy called the nothing. And so he reads this tale and follows this young hero uh, going everywhere to fight against this nothing. And near the end of the book, something happens that startles the young boy reading the book. As he reads the book, all of a sudden the story starts what? Turning to him. The princess in the story says, the only way we can defeat the nothing 
is if the boy who reads this book calls out my name. And you could see the, the boy reading being, what? Is she talking about me? And so he begins to act and he sees how this story he is reading now becomes what? His story. He becomes a character in that story. And this movie creatively taps into a deep longing that all of us have whenever we're reading a good book or watching a good movie. It's that longing to be a part of that story. Which is why we go to the IMAX theater. It's as if we're there. Well, this is what's happening in Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9 is telling us that this is not just a nice story. This isn't even just history. But ultimately, Christmas is an invitation for you and me to receive God's gift. God is inviting us to enter into what he is doing. Martin Luther picks up on this. He writes this wonderful quote, Therefore, see to it that you do not treat the gospel only as history, for that is only transient. Neither regard it only as an example, for it is of no value without faith. Rather, see to it that you make this birth your own, and that Christ be born in you. Luther is warning us, this isn't just a nice story. This isn't even just history. This is an invitation for you. Don't miss out on Jesus. Don't let Christmas simply be a holiday in your life that you celebrate. Don't let it simply be a tradition. Receive the gift of God's Son unto us. A child is born unto us. A son is given. When God gives you a gift, you have a decision to make. Either you accept this gift or you reject it, but you can't do nothing with this offer. But before you make that decision of accepting it or rejecting it, let me offer some words of advice. You see, certain gifts that are given to us say more about us than they do the gift. For example, how would you respond if this Christmas someone gave you a teeth whitening kit? How would you respond? It depends, right? If you know that you need your, white, your teeth whitened, you'll accept it with gratitude, perhaps. But if you don't think you have a problem there, you're going to feel offended. I cannot believe my coworker gave me this. How would you respond if someone gave you Rosetta Stone for English? It depends. 
If you've recently immigrated here, if, if English is your second or third language, you'll be very appreciative of this. Thank you so much. But if you're like me, you were born and raised here, you'd be quite offended. What are you trying to say? What if someone gave you a book called Learn How to Drive? How would you respond? It depends. Well, let's take that principle and apply it to the gift that God gives us. God is offering us Jesus to be our wonderful counselor. What will you do? It depends. Do you believe you lack wisdom? Do you believe you don't know enough on how to navigate this crazy, complicated, broken world? Do you find yourself in situations where you don't know what to do? If you believe you lack wisdom, you're going to gladly receive this gift, aren't you? God invites you to accept Jesus to be your mighty God. If you accept this gift, what you're saying then to God and to the world is this, I am not strong enough to be my own God. I don't have the resources to live life on my own. I need someone greater than myself to lead me and guide me because I can't do it by myself. God invites you to accept Jesus as your everlasting Father. Yes, this world says that the ideal man or woman is the self-reliant, the self-made man or woman, the one who is so strong and independent, he or she doesn't need anyone else. But if you're at a place in your life where you realize that you can't be everything for yourself, you feel like your life is falling apart, you're barely able to hold things together, let alone thrive, then this invitation, this gift will be most welcome for you, won't it? This morning, God invites you to accept Jesus as your Prince of Peace. Well, those who receive this gift are those who understand that there's something missing in their life. That no amount of accomplishments, pay raises, successes, relationships will ever fully satisfy the deep ache that is found in their hearts. They are those who understand that their life is incomplete without God. If that is you, then you'll see this gift as most welcome. If that is you, God invites you to receive the gift of his son today. Of course, that may not describe all of you here. Some of you might be thinking, Jeff, I'm actually doing quite fine. I've got enough wisdom I've done pretty well up until now. My life is pretty fulfilled. 
well, then obviously you're going to reject the gift and you won't be the first or the last. The Pharisees responded the same way when they heard Jesus offer forgiveness, redemption, salvation. The Pharisees were offended by Jesus's offer. I don't need forgiveness. I don't need redemption. I'm doing fine. Thank you very much. But if what God offers resonates with you, it can be yours today. All you need to do is reach out to him and pray. For the rest of us who have received Jesus into our lives, my encouragement for you is to receive him again. You see, living by faith is really the practice of receiving Jesus over and over again. I heard the other day in a podcast that if you listen to a song more than 30 times, that what happens is you stop listening to the lyrics. You stop listening to the words. Your brain is so familiar with the song that the moment you hear the music, it all of a sudden reverts to the background of your life. If that's true with music, can that not also be true of the gospel? We hear the gospel so many times. We've heard so many Christmas messages that the moment you hear, for unto us a child is born, everything starts to fade into the background and you stop listening to the words. How easy is it for us to no longer look to Jesus for our wisdom and instead gain our knowledge through the wisdom of this world. How easy is it for us to, to leave Jesus as our mighty God and to live by our own strength? How easy is it for us to, to live a life of self-reliance rather than God-dependence? How easy it is for us to look to the things of this world for peace rather than Him? And so the, God makes the same invitation to you as well. Come back to me. Let me be your wisdom, your strength, your provision, your peace. May Christmas then be more than just a nice story and tale, more than just a historical record of what happened 2,000 years ago. But may we dive into that story and receive the gift of God's Son and fall on our knees that our God gives himself to you and me. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are humbled by the gift of your son. And Lord, we wrap our arms all the way around this gift. We need every inch of you. We need all of your wisdom, all of your strength, all of your provision, all of your peace. We are bankrupt without you. We cannot do life on our own. Trying to be the center of our own universe, O oh Lord, is exhausting for us. Thank you, O oh Lord, that you did not leave us or abandon us. Thank you, O oh Lord that you provided for all of our needs. And so we receive you this morning. We 
thank you, oh God, that in Christ we have love, joy, and peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just as Pastor Jeff described,